You turn on the internet and there's guys that can just do amazing things in 60 seconds and blow you away. And that's never been the world that I've lived in, you know? Subtlety and nuance is hard to convey in 60 seconds. But I remember as a kid listening to records where the drummer didn't come in until the second verse. And he played a very simple fill. But the fact that he played it with such deliberateness and he held off and it didn't come in till two minutes and 45 seconds into the song created a moment where the fill was extremely powerful. Yet, if you played that same fill in an Instagram clip, it wouldn't be powerful because the context, the build up to it, you weren't part of the journey of the story of the song that led that to be so powerful at that point. What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. I'm your host, Ben Hilsinger, and this week's guest is Chris Marshak, a drummer and percussionist who's worked with a boatload of great artists throughout the years, including Steve Winwood, Amy Helm, James Maddock, Jeffrey Gaines, Willie Porter, and many more. I butter him up at the beginning, so let's just get into it. We talk about some pretty vulnerable stuff in this one, and it felt amazing. He's just a great guy, and I hope you enjoy the five records that helped shape Chris Marshak into the drummer he is today. And get your notes out for this one. He gives some great advice that can be applied both on and off the kit. Cheers. Well, I've been loving the videos you've been putting up recently of you talking to a mysterious entity off camera and just giving all these truth bombs. Uh, you have a way with words that is very impactful. And so what was the inspiration to give those kind of nuggets of videos and everyone listening? I believe I probably at this point, I haven't yet, but I probably would have started off this episode with the audio from one of those just so people can see how well spoken you are. But what was the genesis of that idea? Uh, I think uh, I had a friend of mine who's a filmmaker and a musician and he said, why don't we get together? I'd like to, you know, interview you. So he came over to my studio and he set up the cameras, the mics, the whole thing. And he just started asking questions. He's a very curious soul. You know, we were having a conversation. You know, I think that the, the idea of social media and looking at a camera and trying to create content in a way is something that, you know, some people do that very well. But for me, the idea of you and I having a conversation right now, and if the subject matter is something that I'm interested in, in this case, music, you know, I just at a point in my life where I'm just going to talk about it. And I've had some thoughts in my head for a while. And I think that, I don't know, I, I guess I try to articulate not only the musical perspective, but the human perspective uh, of what it's like to be a, a drummer, a musician, the kinds of things that go through my head. You know, and I think sometimes as I've gotten older, I realize like what we think is most unique about us. And I'm not talking in an artistic sense. I'm talking about in a, like our neuroses, our self-doubt and all that is really pretty universal as as you really are vulnerable. And I think, you know, I, uh, you have friendships and relationships where you can be vulnerable and you learn that very often that everyone is thinking the same kinds of things and feeling the same kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't, you know, I appreciate you noticing that, you know, being well-spoken if you, you know, I, I take that as a compliment, although I don't necessarily see that, I guess that's, <laughs> that's part of my own self-doubt, you know. Exactly, um, yeah. But I think I'm where I'm at at this point, I just... Uh, it's almost like I don't say it when I speak, but what prefaces every single I, every single thing that I say is for me, for me, dot, dot, dot. And when I speak and I think that's uh, all I have is my own life, my own opinions. And music is such a subjective thing, you know, that's one of the beautiful things about it. 
you know, people can hear it and find gems and different kinds of music. All I can really speak to is my own experience. And that has a lot to do with the way I was raised, the music that I listened to or not listened to when I was younger and my mm -hmm. story. And as I've evolved as a drummer, you know, try to evolve as a human being and get to know myself with the idea of that's a worthwhile endeavor because the more we know ourselves and investigate the choices we make outside of music, that the musical choices we make will make better musical choices because we'll understand what our thought process is or has been and realize that it doesn't always have to be that way. And we have choices about how we want to express ourselves. And so I appreciate you, you noticing it. Yeah. Well, you do it really well. Everyone should go listen to all those because each one of them, and they're not long, they're just little truth bombs. And it's, it's very, and I do want to kind of talk about one of them and maybe give advice for some of my listeners and, and selfishly me. So you talked about trying to emulate people and everyone tries to do this at any point in their career and you become a second rate them when you could be a first rate in your case, first rate, Chris, me, first rate, Ben, and you quote, to quote you, uh, versatility is not a sound. And obviously all session players have to grapple with that. How do you navigate that as a session player? Because you do have such a, a nuanced vibe from your playing. How do you navigate that, you know, it, it, to be a working musician, you know, the idea of the more styles you play, you're going to increase the chances of making a living. So as far as um, having your own sound, you're balancing that with commerce. And, I, you know, I've studied with many teachers, style, a lot of different styles. I put, you know, my definitely put my 10,000 hours in. Thing about knowledge is you have all this knowledge and the natural tendency is to want to use it. And I guess that's where we are. I listen to old recordings of myself and I can recognize the beauty of the younger Chris. And then I think music is a snapshot. The way we play is of where we are at a, at a point in life. But I think the challenge of making a living is like being true to your art and making a living. And the idea when we emulate other people, certainly it's been part of my journey early on. When I was younger, you know, when you're in high school and you, you could play a, a rush song or there was a challenging fill or something there was a certain pride and you got noticed for that. And it was a certain badge of honor. And I think it was a healthy, it's a healthy part of development. I just think as I've gotten older, I realized like, wait a minute, that was done already. And very often, even the drummers that we talk about, that we aspire to, the great drummers, the great recordings, and they're older than us. But when those guys cut those recordings, they were very young. And where I'm at now is I want to try to create something that's representative of what I do. And when you're a niche artist, I guess in some ways, maybe although diverse, you have to, I think, over time, it's like a little antenna you put up. And the idea is that, you know, through your work, you attract people that recognize what you do, value what you do. And I've been fortunate, you know, I guess uh, the amount of gigs I do now, most of the people I play with, they're calling me for me, what I do, a very specific thing. Don't get me wrong. I do gigs where I'm filling in for somebody and I got to learn someone's set. And I'm learning tunes and I'm learning parts and I'm depending on the artist and how much they want their original recordings represented. I will dial that in. And as a working musician, I have to do that. But I, I do. I don't think versatility is a sound. I have a, I know a lot of great drummers. And sometimes when I, I hear them, not all of them, but this their versatility, because you've spent so much time learning the different styles of music, you haven't spent the time on who am I? What is my sound? What is my musical fingerprint? You know, and I think when we learn all these different, uh, we emulate people, we get all these people and we create this like pot stew 
of, of stuff. But at some point in our life, we have to have the confidence to step in front of that and let the world know who we are. And it sounds kind of cliche, but in the world of drumming, you know, and you're playing songs and two and four, which a lot of songs have, obviously there's, there's, there's a lot of different kinds of music, but how do you make that unique and your own? And I think subtlety and nuance to me has been the area which has always intrigued me, you know, listening to recordings of drummers where they did things and you're just like, how did they do that? What are they doing? Is, mm -hmm. is that an overdub? How do they get that sound? Like, yep. I, I just was curious about that and almost like the fact that when I can't pinpoint it, you know, that, that the drummer just, maybe he did something that was just in the moment or there's a mystery about it and it leaves you in the not knowing. And I think there's something cool about that. I like what you were saying earlier in one of your videos about it's not so much forward progress. It's it's kind of the circle. And I'm butchering your explanation, but how just diving into what you already know and reapproaching it from the perspective of times past and things that you already know, let's dive into that. And, and instead of I get frustrated sometimes, like, why do I always do this thing or blah, blah, blah. It's like embrace it almost and be like... I keep using it. So obviously that's something I want to say. How can I make that a little more unique as I come back to it and kind of find your voice that way? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that, that image that I think of is that forward progress is just like upward climb up a mountain. And as we get, we, we go further on our journey, we're, we're always entering new in growth new learning new is considered a badge of honor. And I think it is healthy. Mm -hmm. I think when it comes to music though, sometimes we'll, this notion of a circle in the same spot that's just drills down in the sea. So it has the outward appearance that you're in the same location, but you're taking that location extremely deep, whether it's a fill, you know, you play a fill and, you know, uh, you know, I think about some of the fills I played when I was younger and I'm probably still playing them, mm -hmm. but am I playing them with a, a greater degree of depth now is the feel of it and is my choice of it, my commitment, my, where I choose to put it, all those things have, have changed. Also, the idea that, you know, a simple fill, even there, there's a judgment when I say a simple fill and the ego of the, the musician mind, we have to be, you know, this part of us that wants to, you know, we're all like this drummer, like where there could be a, a bunch of people in a room enjoying the music that we're playing, feeling the groove, but there's a few musicians and some level there's a part of me, you know, I'd be lying to say if I didn't, but, you know, those guys know they they're in the they're in the know, but are they really in the know? And maybe the average person knows. One thing I I notice now when I play is I I'm very conscious, not intentionally, but when someone's like tapping their finger or tapping their foot when I'm playing, to me it's I can survive if they don't do that. But if when I see that, it's kind of like a signpost to me, like all right, the music's heading in the right direction, and and, and I think in the world of social media and Instagram, you know. Uh, with, with short clips and you have a little window to impress people. Uh, there's a ton of musicians, just fantastic drummers, and you have to give them credit because technically, you know, anyone who plays the instruments realizes the, the, the complexity of some of this stuff. But what is the goal of music? You know, uh, I, I heard a great interview with Antonio Sanchez, mm. and uh, he talked about a transition in his own life. But is the purpose of music? What is it? Is it to be cryptic? And, and to keep people who are listening mystified as to where the one is at the goal or is the, the purpose of music to connect, to connect with people. And obviously, you know, you, people can do that in advanced ways and subtle advanced ways where you don't 
totally lose the listener. Mm -hmm. But I think there's something about that, you know, the simplicity, even when I use a simple fill, I'm, I'm applying some level of judgment to it. And to try to lose, you know, even, even me to lose those words, you know? Yep. All right. And so I've been asking a lot of guests this before we get into your top five, because I know people are probably like, this guy seems so wise. I want to listen to what he's been listening to. So before we get into that, I do have two questions. If you, I'm sure you've seen on, on social media, a lot of these drum shops, local drum shops, shout out to Nelson, the hat I'm wearing, are doing these kind of drummer showcases where it's just a drummer playing by themselves for 15 to 30 seconds. It can be as crazy as kind of what you were talking about, like where the hell's the one, or it's just a groove that is beautiful and simple. If, if you went to a drum shop, your favorite drum shop, and they gave you drumsticks and said, we're going to film Chris for 30 seconds today, what would you play? I don't, you know, that's a good question depending on the day, but I guess there yeah. would be a little ego check. And I would just say, be you. Don't try to be anyone else but me. And it sounds simple, but when you're emulating anybody, the best you can be is a second rate them. Mm -hmm. And I would just go in there and try to be the best Chris that I could be. You know, I, I, I've seen a bunch of them lately, you know, the different drum shops and I love playing them. And I was watching one the other day, my my friend Jay Bellarose, who everyone knows who Jay is. And he oh, yeah. was at the, the pro drum shop. He did one. It just moved me in a very, very special way. Mm. Playing on the rim of the drum. It was pockets of air and what he did. Mm. It was just being Jay. Mm -hmm. You know? I know the and, exact one you're talking about. Yeah, he was just being Jay, which is he's a singular drummer. That was one particular thing because he didn't go in there and he just was being him. That's what I would do. I would just try to be me. I don't, you know, I don't know what it would involve that day, but I think more than knowing what I would do, I would just know what I would try not to do, you know, and that would be try to emulate or be someone that I'm not. And maybe it would be simple and maybe it would get overlooked, you know, because some people are looking those things and they're looking for the chops or they're looking to be wowed. You know, I think we're all in the business of music and trying to, you know, work and keep, get out there and let people know about what we're doing and, and balancing that with, of being true to ourselves and making art that's ours and not purposely trying to be something that we're not, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, that's why you're such a great session player is you're not going into any situation with a preconceived notion. You're just, what's, what am I feeling right now? I mean, something as subtle as the way the stool feels, if it's more of a rigid stool or I mean, like, I, I can't think of a specific example of how that would change your playing, but it would change your playing. Um, and so before we go into your top five, what was the mindset? How did you approach it? And in, in thinking about it, the ego come in. I want to come across as, you know, making sure I mention all these obscure like records and just yeah. show how knowledgeable about the inside of jazz I am. And I didn't do that. I said, I'm going to go with the music that moves me. Music that moves me. There happens to be great drumming on these things, but it all these things... It's the music that mm -hmm. I chose, not because of the drummer. The drummer's a part of it, obviously. I'm not minimizing that, but I'm, I'm a song guy, and I would rather listen to uh, someone playing acoustic guitar, playing a really good song, than hear ego bass jamming, where they're just you're trying to show off chops. I like songs. And so I, I guess that was what it, I thought about the, the, the tunes that I listen when I'm in the car and the music that moves me. So I, I picked some records that, that, that I really love, that make me feel something. Yeah, I don't want to diminish the drummers. All the drummers on here are fantastic and is a certainly a big part of why I picked them. But also the songs 
they don't i don't think any of them really showcase the drummer in a specific way there's moments within the song that showcase the drummer but it's all like really playing for the song and some space in there yeah all right everyone i wanted to share some exciting news that the latest season of the podcast food on tour has just begun touring drummer and good buddy of mine mike robinson who plays with oliver tree he's covered a few gigs for me with cannons he's also played with kflay delwater gap blame my youth and many more he dives into mouth-watering conversations with professional musicians and artists to uncover their most cherished bars and restaurants to frequent on tour from hidden gems to five-star meals at iconic establishments around the world fans of food music and travel can look forward to new episodes every monday so download food on tour wherever you listen to your podcasts and give Mike a, a, a sup for me. What a horrible way to end this. Cheers. Hey, y'all. I wanted to... <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by 5.5 snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston actually, this is why it's called the ocean patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through. The episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at BigFatSnareDrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time, and I just kept thinking about it, and so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. All right. Well, I'll list off kind of the attributes for each record, and then maybe you can talk about it. And then once you feel I've done a good intro, we can listen to it. But number one, it. the album's Gumbo. The release here is 1972. The artist is Dr. John. And the song choice is Junko Partner. And I hope I'm not messing up his last name, Freddie Staley. Or Stahl. Stahl, you know, yeah. Somebody will correct us. <laughs> sure, but, yeah. But as long as he gets credit, because, yeah, I mean, when I heard this song the first time, it stopped me in my tracks. Mm -hmm. It was just, what is this? What's going on here? What's the energy? It's a great song and just beautiful. A masterpiece of, of, of soulful second-line drumming that is just awesome. Where were you when this came into your life and who introduced it to you? Um, I was playing with the songwriter who was doing a bunch of New Orleans stuff, mm. and he was doing the song. He's, I think we played it once on a gig. He just called it, and he played it. 
and I loved the song. And then I just did a little bit of a deep dive and listened to the original recording, and I just was absolutely floored. There's something about the second line stuff, the spirit of it. There's a freeness to it, a greasiness to it, mm. that the phrasing, the, the cadences of the song, the buzz rolls. I've always, it, since that, since hearing this, it's just made me curious and just following that song to the next song. And, and it's just one of my favorites. I love it. All right. Well, here's Junko Partner. Such a clean buzz. Just the way it interacts with his vocal at the end of the phrase, the turnaround and greasiness of it. Yeah. And that crackle that Dr. John has in his voice is so cool. I think a lot of my practicing and studying, I don't know how it is for you, but songs that come on my radar, right? You, you learn songs for a gig. Mm-hmm. And then this might be one song with something, the halftime bridge taps into one of your weaknesses. It just knocks on your weakness door and says, oh, yeah. <laughs> hello. And so, so you do whatever you have to do to survive the gig and get through it. But very often time when the gig is gone the following week, I don't let go of that opportunity till I feel like I can digest a little bit or take whatever that weakness was and bring it up a notch. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the more music you play over years and years, you see repeats, you know, different feels, different figures. And so a lot of the music that I play kind of that's uh, dictates what I'm working on. But yeah, just the, the top and the intro on that, when the drums come in, there's just a, something about it. And it's still this way. It could give me the chills. Just the interactive, there's something beautiful about it and Dr. John's voice. And mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's a great, the whole record's great, but that song in particular is really special. Absolutely. All right. So number two, the album is Bring the Family. The release here is 1987. The uh, artist is John Hyatt. The song choice is Memphis in the Meantime. And Mr. Keltner, who is hopefully coming on the podcast soon. But yeah, so what was, uh, why'd this record make the list? Well, this record, I mean, this song is kind of, I love the groove on it. So much you could say about Jim Keltner, the way he plays, you know. They say that some people, you know, never play the same thing twice. I heard about Keltner. He never plays the same thing once, you know. (laughs) Yeah. He just has like this, what is he doing? And there's a freedom to it that you know that he's in the moment. Uh, And, you know, the New Orleans stuff that we just, you know, the Dr. John, you know that he's got some of that New Orleans stuff in his in his playing. There's no question. There's that greasiness. Um, The snare stuff is just really cool. His choice to like, uh, especially on the Memphis in the meantime, he he cracks the snare on two. He doesn't play snare on four, the whole tune. And it just has this like slightly Latin tinged feel 
the rest of the record, I mean, it's like uh, Lipstick, Sunset. These are beautiful songs. I mean, like where it's like the drums are understated and you can hear the pockets of air in the track. And so you hear everyone really well. And, uh, you know, Ry Cooter is on guitar. I don't know if you're familiar with Ry Cooter, but I'm not, he is but I'll just, pretend like I am. Yeah. I mean, he did the Buena Vista Social Club, which was a movie he went to Cuba, which is another thing. I mean, he's such a talent in his guitar playing. Uh, and Nick Lowe on bass, and they've done a bunch of different things together. But there's something about these guys. They've made a lot of music together. But this record is just, there's a lot of really great songs. Uh, a lot of my songwriter friends, we talk about how great the record is. And Kelton is on it. And a lot of stuff he does is understated. Mm. But, you know, Memphis in the meantime, is just, just like, almost like a little Tex-Mex kind of thing going on in there. And it just, uh, and because he doesn't play the snare on four, you know, this idea of, I'm always interested in how can we make the phrase sound longer, less mm. loopy, less like, oh, there's the point where it repeats. And of course, there's a consistency of the groove that he plays. It's beautiful. But he, the way he varies it and his choice of sounds with like these like finger symbols or triangle, I don't, again, I don't exactly. I'm, I'm guessing what it could be. Sure. But, but and then the low end toms and his interaction with the vocal. And even on the breaks, there's this space where, you, oh, you could put a fill there, and he doesn't put anything there. He does this little bass drum that's kind of like, I'm calling it like a little samba bass drum, you know, mm -hmm. where he's just like, there's these pockets of air, but when the when it drops back into the next verse, it's so powerful, and I think it's powerful because of it's kind of understated and, and just, yeah, just really masterful playing by Keltner on this, you know. Yeah, this whole record, I forget who hit me, where I found out about it, but yeah, it's this record is just a beautiful record. All right, well, here we go. Here's Memphis in the meantime. So number three, Coleman Hawkins encounters Ben Webster, the release year is 1959. The artist is, of course, Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster. The song choice is Rosita, and Alvin Stoller, Stoller is the drummer. And yeah, take it away. I mean, this, this when I heard this record, it's, you know, Oscar Peterson playing piano. And, you know, mm. it's funny about jazz. I, I kind of came into jazz a little bit later in life. You know, I, you know, I have some friends who... You know, they talk about their upbringing when they grew up. My mother and father played jazz around the house. They took us to see, so this one, we went to go see big bands. And I didn't have that experience growing up. I like growing up in my house, like John Denver. My parents played like John Denver and Elvis. And my mother listened to like Johnny Mathis, 
you know? And so I discovered jazz later on. What I love about this record is the sounds of the saxophones on it, you know, Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster. And in this song, Rosita, the second time through, when the both saxes come in, it, the sweetness of the melody, it's like heavenly. It really, it really is. And the groove is very like percussion. You know, it's got this little rumba-esque thing. Is it percussion? Is the drummer playing with his hands on the snare? I don't know what he's doing exactly, but there's something about the the way it's almost like I'm not listening to the drummer. You know, as a drummer, sometimes the natural tendency is to maybe focus on your instrument. And when music forgets me, makes me forget that I'm I'm a drummer and that I'm just listening to this music as a whole. I like that feeling. That's what this record does for me, you know, and uh, I mean, I'm a huge Oscar Peterson fan. What an amazing pianist he is. And but even on this He's understated. And the music is just, I don't know. It's like nobody on this record is saying, look at me. But yet you look at them because uh, it's just so soulful. I put it on sometimes and it, it, it just makes me feel good. You know, I wish sometimes that I could men in black myself and forget that I'm a drummer and just listen to a record and take notes on it. Like what would Ben, if he had never been a drummer, how would he appreciate this music? And then on men in black myself and then read the notes and just see how different it is than my experience as a working drummer. And it's just, it's literally two completely different universes. But uh, I, I agree when there is a record that naturally allows that it's you, you hang on to those records for sure. Yeah. And I, I think I, I can identify with what you said. You know, the idea is we're a drummer, we're sussing out. What can we learn? What are they using? Are they using big fat snare drum? Yeah. Stuff, Thank you. you know, <laughs> which I use. I've used that for a while. So, you Thank know, you. you know, and, you know, we all do that with gear. We're always trying to grow as an artist and as a drummer. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes the power of the music, when the song and the band is so powerful that it makes us forget, we become just a listener and not a drummer. I think that's why I do appreciate a lot of music with no drums, because it, it gets rid of that element of dissection. But okay, here is Rosita. That's beautiful. Oh, that's some saucy sax playing. this right now here it comes mm. 
gotta buy this record. This is gorgeous. That one little cymbal hit. So, number four, James Taylor Live. The release here is 1993. The artist is, of course, James Taylor. The song choice, and you were very specific, so I love it. Country Road at 345, and then you want to play from about 316 out, and we definitely have time for that. So, okay. Carlos Vega is the drummer. So, let's talk about it, and then I will start at around 316. Uh, the drummers have played with James Taylor. You know, Russ Kunkel is on a lot mm. of James Taylor's hits. He's had different drummers, Carlos Vega and Steve Gadd is, you know, his current drummer. So, you know, all of them are, I'm a big fan of all of their, their work. That being said, there's something about Carlos with James Taylor that's to me is so special. The beauty of the open, spacious and deliberate fills he plays, this Tom sounds, they're like low and earthy. His pocket is so deep and he can play figures at slow tempos, not rush them and make it sound so relaxed, but yet there's an intensity about it in the section we'll listen to i think i've talked about there's like a, a vocal breakdown with james taylor and him playing and interacting it is just absolutely off the charts you can't play any better than the drumming on this it's impossible to play any better it's nothing that that takes up too much sonic space you know his choice really it's about taking the things that we know i think as drummers we we study all these concepts advanced concepts and we want to use them but the question is how do we i think what I strive to do is how can I take this concept that this a foot long and only use three inches of it, you know, yeah. just a frag to fragment of it, you know, and because a full measure fill on a tune like this is going to be too much. But the way he picks these, he picks his pockets where he's going to interact with the vocals. It's really masterful. Just as a side note to this record, I've done a few gigs with the keyboard player who's uh, on this recording, not Don Grolnick. He, he passed away, but the second keyboard player. And he told me that this record was recorded over a series of nights. I don't know what the breakdown of song, but he said on some songs, they actually took his time was so steady, not with a click. They were able to use a verse from one night. Wow. With another night. I mean, that's no insanely no impressive. Click. He said that's how steady his time was. But the drums on this one. Yeah, check it out. Let's listen. I'm excited. You got me excited. Walk on down, walk on down, walk on down. Here we go. 
Those, uh, ka, ka, ka. At, you're doing those like triplet fills. You want to speed those up. He literally kept it in that. Isn't it amazing? It's just like, you know, as a drummer, like you could play that, but those fills and being thankful you played, you know, you, you did the more, the triplet things and that, but to play those figures he plays coming out of there in the relaxed fashion that he does and, and the time, it just feels so good. His command of the phrasing, his interaction, the way he inserted those know some of that even that thing he does on the bell and i've even mm -hmm. heard gad talk about this track and, and learning it after he played it and how it kind of set the bar like holy the precedent has been set the bar has been set with carlos on the, on this and I, I remember hearing an interview with gad where he even talked about i gotta be on my toes on this one because the way <laughs> carlos played on that it's no joke wow well if gad says he has to go study up on you that's you've made yeah. it yeah um all right so album number five is Kiko. The release here is 1992. The artist is Los Lobos. Song choices Wake Up Dolores and Gary Malibur. Gary Malibur. Yeah, and Gary, you know, I know, I think he played on a bunch of the early Van Morrison stuff. I think he did. Oh, cool. Steve, uh, Steve Miller. And Los Lobos is a band, like their most biggest hit is La Bamba from the Richie Valens story. You know, everyone knows that song. But they have like, I think, I just went to go see them a couple of weeks ago. I think they've been mm. doing it for like 50 years. And they have like a bunch of different records, some more bluesy based. And this one in particular, it's just like a, some of the tunes got a, like a, a Latin, like a Tex Mexican kind of thing. And this tune in particular, something about the guitars, it's just got this swampy kind of like stomp that's like in that area that we talked about earlier, where it's like not straight, not swung. It's kind of nasty. It's kind of nasty. The guitar and the feeling of it just—it's just really cool. And this whole record is really great. And there's a lot of stuff. And there's like like a Latin and there's even some like New Orleans kind of stuff in there, like percussion. Like Alex Acuna is on a couple songs. And there's like this, mm. you know, there's like accordion and some very like Spanish sounding stuff. And then other stuff where you know, the vocals are really cool and the tunes are really interesting and. I don't, I don't know. There's something about their music, this record in particular, that's just unique. And, you know, they've been together, I think, 50 years, like I said. And when I saw them live, I think they got some new members in there, but like um, David Hidalgo, Steve Berlin, you know, who plays this really cool, like the saxophone stuff that's on here. And it's just, there's some quirkiness to it. But the vibe of it just makes me want to get up. I'm not really a dancer, but this song makes me want to move <laughs> a little bit, you know? Definitely does. Yeah. All right, well, here's here's Wake Up Dolores.
Yeah, something about the, you know, again, there's obviously the drums are heavy, but it's not about the complexity of the part. It's the commitment of the groove. And there's that quarter note, the, the power of the quarter note. It's funny how, you know, you I don't know what books you studied out of when you first took lessons, but, you know, like syncopation and playing quarter mm -hmm. notes and that. And I find myself now like realizing like, wow, the quarter note, just how the power of the quarter note, even the power of one and three bass drum on one and three and how much you can build around that but when that's anchored with that one and three kind of thing but there's a power to it that is uh, that i connect with you know and, uh, I, and so I, I forget who said it talking about music is like dancing about architecture you know it's like trying to put in words that what the song makes me feel and but when i hear that it just makes my foot tap and i love the drummer and yeah, uh, yeah i just think he played beautifully for it's funny how i was like looking through some of these songs and i'm realizing like the 90s i realized like the 90s there was a lot of records that i did listen from the 90s it's funny you know the 90s are known for other things but yet this these records and even the way the drums are you know gated a little bit where you really there's a powerfulness to them but yet it still sounds similar to other recordings at that time but but ironically i wasn't in the 90s i wasn't hip to this stuff you know i'm kind of late to the party on some of these things so i am where i am and you're discovering things on your own and to just try to have that and i think about when i first started playing drums i'm sure you had the same thing if the curiosity when you discovered the drums it was like nothing was going to keep you away from the instrument it was mm -hmm. a curiosity that we had i think when we were younger and for me the pandemic you know if you think about the pandemic i know it's we're thankful to be past it but we weren't we weren't doing anything for a couple of years you know you take a profession which is an already difficult profession to begin with and our desire to create was just cut off at the knees you know really I and mean, yes we could do virtual things and we all were creative and it brought out a, a level of creativity which i think was good but i think that for me the pandemic helped get me back to my childlike essence of why am i playing because there was a period where obviously there was going to be no gigs for years mm -hmm. two years so why was i going to touch the instrument i i think it's uh, you know for me i try to be mindful of that you know that 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 was a pretty heavy thing and that and i, I have some friends that are still recovering from it you know some of their work has still not come back in the way um, so i think in the art that we create the humanity of us as we went through this horrific thing and uh hopefully the art that we're creating post that you know the soulful some of the soulfulness of that comes across because um, I, I know it certainly affected me i don't know what your experience was during that time but i was definitely affected i totally recalibrated everything i got into gadsden grooves and joey warnker and how soft can i play i just got into really 
old records that were so softly played but compressedly sounded huge and trying to emulate that and because i grew up in heavy rock and a band i'm still in is a very like you know early 2000s rock band so i I still have that part of me but it was really fun to just decide i have many months where i don't have to have a certain style that i have to be rehearsed in so what kind of drummer do i want to be and just go down that rabbit hole and while i've still come out of it with still my essence very similar to what i was before the pandemic i had this whole new tool belt of things i enjoy playing um that I attribute to the pandemic and I have a lot more control with dynamics or control while I'm playing at lower volumes. Cause all I would do is play to Stax records and Bill Withers. And yeah, it was weird. I didn't know who the hell I was in the instrument for a while. I mean, I still don't, I still yeah, grapple well, with that, well, but it was even more so. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I think the thing about being a session drummer or whatever, playing with uh, a lot of different artists like I do, you know, I think people see you through the eyes of the song, you know. And so if you're, you know, if I'm playing something that's more roots or Americana and I'm playing it, and, you do, and if you do a, a reasonably good job about it, people are going to see you through the eyes of the song. You know, it, they used to have this part of my brain that would say, well, I could, you know, I could do more. You know, we want people to know exactly what we can do. And sometimes people will label us because if you do something effectively, in your case, maybe you're like, I was watching some of your clips, you know, you sound great, you're great rock drama, you're killing it. Oh, thank you. And it's not an or, it's an and. And we all have ands. And you play other things. Mm-hmm. And just someone could see you on a given day. And that's, you're playing for the music that is in front of you and what's required. And I guess the voices in me, the judgmental voices in me has let go of that. If someone's going to judge me by what they see me on a given day, then, then let them. You know, my body of work, at some point, someone were to listen to me, you know, the versatility of my of styles that's going to come out and the humility of being being able to play for a song and what's required at a given moment and letting go and choosing to say i could do this but i'm that's not what's best for the music in front of me i think that the you know i think that's the task at hand for all of us yeah for me it's the older i get it's just follow the dopamine you know and i'm i'm trying not to be hard on myself with if i want to work on this super complicated thing for three days in a row because for some reason it's bringing me enjoyment in those three days and i'm probably never going to use it on a gig but it makes me feel passionate to pick up drumsticks i just allow myself to do what i want as long as it's not hindering my progress in the bands i'm working with or you know all that jazz i just i've stopped being hard on myself and allowed myself to just work on what i want to work on and you will find yourself that way but yeah i used to be so hipster about it you know that i have to be doing this and i'm all about the groove i should never play linear fills i should never do gospel chops it's like what if i want to do that for an entire week do it so what changed what changed for you what made you you know what can you think of a moment that made you like i no i no i just i guess this podcast maybe and talking to a lot of drummers and realizing that there's no through i guess this that's it that's the answer it was accumulative that there's no through line. I've talked to every form of drummer. Most of them are wildly successful um, in in the terms of they're happy and they're making money and they have freedom in their instrument. And they're all so different. I don't have to be so strict on what I feel. And as long as I'm still zooming out and making progress in some way, it's okay if I go on little deviations, you know, like kind of what you were talking about. I think we were recording at that point, but just following the little string. And sometimes you're like, 
oh, I'm in this little room of creativity. I'll find a way to somehow bring it back to this gig that seemingly from seemingly has nothing to do with this, you know? So I've, I've probably gathered more insight on in places I never thought I would, as opposed to having a strict schedule of what I'm working on. I'm not sure if that answered the question, but no, I think it's I just think, been accumulative. I, I'm curious because I, you know, I think I, well, we all, as I mentioned earlier, the similarities between us, you know, yeah. What should you be practicing? What What do I want to say on my instrument? And a lot of times, mm-hmm. you know, the tunes in front of me. I found yeah. during the pandemic, it was it, it was different. So like right now, you know, after we get off here, I have another gig, a whole bunch of two ten tunes I got to start working on. Mm-hmm. So that'll be my focus for the you know the next few days working on those tunes. But like during the pandemic, where it was like freedom where you didn't have anything then you have to practice everything and (laughs) yeah that's that's like overwhelming because it's like Mm -hmm. and even practice everything but it there was also a point like for what you know and and i think what you're describing i think is like that's like the childlike part of ourselves where it's just like we're just doing it because it feels feels good we're just curious and the fact that i'm interested in it is maybe the universe's way of saying that this is what you should be doing because you're you're motivated. It's it makes you want to get behind the drums. And I certainly, you know, I have things I work on. But then one day, all of a sudden, I start working on this thing that's kind of out of left field. That I, something I heard, maybe a conversation I had with a fellow drummer or a concept, and I sit down and I just do that. And maybe I only work on it for a day or two, but for some reason, it needed to be expressed. And you know, I think those voices in our heads, the self doubt. Some of the stuff in music is the same as people. You know, if we weren't musicians and we were talking about being human beings, self-doubt, you know, finding our place in the world. What's our purpose? You know, all those things are true, whether you're a musician or not. But now bring those same things. That's why I've always been into psychology and understanding, trying to understand myself, which that's that's a lifelong pursuit like drumming. But I do believe it's worthwhile because then, we understand why we make choices. And if you feel okay with yourself outside the drums, there's a, probably a good chance that you might feel okay with yourself on the drums. The self-doubt that we all have seeing somebody that like makes you want to burn your sticks and say, I could never, I could never do that. I, you know, I, I could talk about an experience I had. My son is a songwriter, rapper. He lives in LA. Real, he's really talented. But when I go out to see him, I, I've developed the friendship with jay Bellarose. so we go out there a couple and, I, and funny story i just emailed i didn't know him i was familiar with his work i sent him an email this was years you know five or six years ago I sent him an email just say hey we have some mutual friends and he just said hey he responded said, come to playing here and i went to the gigs and we went out there and there was a moment with him and i've spoken to other people who've had this the same experience where you see somebody who's actualizing in real time some of the things that you're maybe working on and you have a choice. And I went to go see Jay and it was just such a sweetheart of a guy. And we, yeah, we, we went to a few of his gigs within a week and we hung out and it was, it was, it was just a nice thing. We're not like super close friends, but we're definitely musical acquaintances. And, you know, some of my creative things that I've made, you know, my leg shakers, I sent one to Jay and, you know, just because he went to that and uh, some of those things. Um, but I had to make a choice. I'm like, either let, either I'm going to burn my sticks, throw everything I have, and the garbage, or I'm going to choose to let him inspire me. There's already a Jay who's very successful and very creative. You can't compete with that. So if he was, I almost take about like the aroma of what he was doing and put it on me. You know what I'm saying? So it would be me, but the spirit of what he's trying to do 
my version of that. I have to find my version of that. Because his mm -hmm. version of that, the, the principle of it is the same thing. Exploring creativity, finding sounds, thinking outside of the box, those type of things. What's my version of that? Because even though Jay's very creative, and there's a lot of guys who emulate Jay, he's, he's being done already. So how can you, the spirit of what he did, and he was, you know, he was just, we, we had nice conversations. And that's just an example of an experience I had where you're either going to choose to get inspired by it or you're going to get really bummed out about it. And as I get older, I realize that the, the concept of mutual abundance, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's this idea that there's not a not. finite amount of abundance in the world and that if someone else gets some of it, they're not... You know, if they take 10% of it, it's not like 100 and there's only 90 left. There's an inf infinite a number of abundance out there. And someone else's success or talent is no way related to what we can do in our own potential. And to echo what you're saying, I or to add on to it, I also, when I see someone like that, that is so in certain ways ahead of me, I nowadays immediately think of, I don't know what that person had to sacrifice to get to where they are right now. And I'm not sure if my morals or the way that I like to balance my life would even fit with that. So I don't even try and view them as ahead of me. I'm like, they have their own set of things that got them to where they are. And all I can do is every day take self-inventory of what I'm willing to sacrifice to get to where I wanna go and then just be happy with that and accept, like truly accept that. Cause you have to have you have to know what makes you happy. And just the fact that you can do a certain thing or that you want to do a certain thing that a drummer that's better than you, quote unquote, is doing. What if getting to that point, you'd have to be so much more miserable in other things. So like, you, it's hard to even compare yourself in that way. It's a good, yeah. That's a good point. You're judging, you know, I think, and this is the thing about social media. We judge other people's outsides, their highlight reels by our behind the scenes content. You know what I'm saying? And, Right. Mm -hmm. You don't know. In my case, I, I'm a father, too. You know, I have a son and a daughter and balancing that early on. I'm at a point now where it's like they're, they're older now. And I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing some of the things now that some of my friends who didn't have children could do when they were younger. And ironically, some of my friends now are having children older and now they're a part of that and they're not as free as they were once before. And mm -hmm. right. We're all on different paths, you know, and I think that while the details may be different, we're all, you don't know where people are coming from. And, and again, you just have to take what you have and your circumstances. And I think it's about how bad do you want it, you know, and I, that comes to practicing or whatever and adversity, whatever gets kicked up at you, you know, and part of this business is you got to have thick skin, you know, especially being a side man, you know, you have to be able to take constructive criticism. You know, you're going to have things you're going to get. Sometimes the car is going to fall the cards are going to fall your way. Sometimes they're not going to fall your way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's about perseverance. I think very often it's like, how bad do you want it? And just getting back on the horse. And it's funny when I was younger, I used to, you know, we all have like the highlight reels of people we've played with. And I'm very grateful for the, some of the more well-known people that I played with. And when I was younger, that's all I was focused on getting the bigger gigs and name players. And it's interesting. I don't measure my career anymore in that way. I measure it by the bottom gig, my lowest level gig now, lowest in terms of maybe financial compensation, not being as well known. I'm playing, I'm very lucky. I play with really great players, you know, 
people who elevate me, people who are soulful people that push me to be better musicians, push me to, you know, and it's a, and it's a back and forth thing. So rather than measuring my success by the top, I almost like now I look at the bottom and say, wow, I'm not really think of some of the gigs I did early on. And now you're at this like, what am I doing here? I know I love playing drums, but this environment, you know, whether people are not listening or I'm, I'm just playing music where it's just, uh, and maybe that's some of that could have been on me where I hadn't found my voice yet, but I don't know how it is for you, Ben, but for me, finding out who you are, sometimes figuring out what you're not is just as important. It's as important as figuring out who you are. It's hard to acknowledge, I don't want to be this kind of drummer. So there will be a time in the future when someone says, hey, can you play this gig? And you can say, hey, you know what? I'm not the right player for that. Or no, I can't do that right now. But it's like, what's the trade-off? Being Have more pride and more uh, commitment to who you are or the very few times you're going to be asked to do something and you can't do it. It's grappling with those decisions and, and, and walking away from certain things. It's hard because I remember even a few years ago, my worst fear was being in a studio. Hey, Ben, can you add this thing to this? And I, I don't think I can. But it's okay that there's certain things I can't do. And I don't lose any sleep at night or not as much sleep at night. I do, but for other things. Well, as, as we wrap up, I do want to give the opportunity to do some self-promotion, talking about self-doubt. Let's talk about ourselves. And so if you want to talk about where people can find you, where people can, I mean, there'll be a link to you in the show notes. But if you want to let people know if there's anything coming up that you want people to check out, now is your time. And then I will let you go learn those 10 songs. It's been such a fun chat. Oh, man, Ben, I really appreciate you having me on here. And like I said, I'm not, and I'm not saying this because... I'm on here. I've, I've owned the big fat snare drum stuff for a while now. I think what I love about now, even companies like yourself, Nelson Drum Shop, the people like individuals in the world of corporations and guitar centers and all these things and mass production. I'm kind of, when I see that, I want to go to the other direction, the smaller mm. companies that you can only find them out about on Instagram and they have sounds and stuff that not everybody's using or, um, you know, I think that sounds matter, you know, and I think that what we play matters. But for me, like, I realize like, wow, sounds really matter. And to me, that's like where I'm exploring that that realm the last few years and the products like you, what you guys make. It's just like, yeah, it's just beautiful, you know, and I. Well, thank you, man. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just, you know, I got a website, social media, my name, Chris Marshak. As my daughter say, search me up, you know, uh, that's what she says, reach out. I'm always open to talking to people. And like I said, some of the Instagram stuff I've been doing lately has been, you know, I've been blessed, get some traction. I've been hearing from a ton of different people and people sharing their thoughts. And I think some of the things that we're talking about today, I think a lot of drummers feel the same way. And, and I think we live in such a, not political, but we live in a very either or. You know, either you're a song drummer or there, and those guys, they don't play with feel, and that's not real music. I would never say that, man. These guys are creating great art. And mm -hmm. um, if that's what they're creating, that's what they're hearing. For them, as it is for me, for them, that's what they're playing, and I think it's beautiful. But I think there's a lot of guys that fall into the, maybe they're not the facility super technical, blow you away in 30-second double bass gazillion notes thing. And I think that a lot of people have been, you know, been messaging with a lot of people and it really, it's really, and I think, I think the concept is a lot of us in the same boat where we're like, 
navigating subtlety and nuance and uh, with social media, which is, you know, social media is, it's just a means to an end, you know, it's, uh, but I think for some people it becomes the end in itself, you know, and I just think like as musicians in the same way, you know, I got into recording drums at home and being able to track just as another revenue stream that I can do. You know, I remember learning it, buying the stuff like, I don't know what I'm doing, but then we learn because you, you see the web music's going and you want to be able to participate in what's going on. And we're in the music business, you know, I'm not, I'm a drummer, but I'm in the music business. So I saw, I remember a while ago, Kodak, you know, the film company, which went out of business. Mm -hmm. Some guy analyzed the company and he said, they thought they were in the photo business and they were wrong and they went out of business. They were in the memories business mm. and they didn't adapt to the times. And that is why they lost out. And so I think it's drummers. We're in the, music business we're drummers and we've got to make music and technology you know i have a couple friends that i've gotten and i've encouraged them make the move do it you can do it it's just it's just a means another stream of income on our on our tree that that can happen and sometimes i'm doing a lot of things sometimes you know it, it, i'm not doing as much but i think as far as my own growth in there i think it's just we're uh part of what i did what i do and i'm sure what you do as well but yeah so check me out online I got on a little bit of a sidetrack there, but yeah. No, I love it. Out. Thanks again. I hope you have a good night. And let me know when you come out here. I, I would love to check it out and meet you in person. That would be great. Shake your hand. Absolutely, man. 100%. All right. I will talk to you soon, man. Thanks so much. And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum, and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!